I want to show you guys a picture of my family because I realize that probably half of y'all don't even know how many kids I have. All right? So let's put them up there. All right? That's, that's called the Fab Five. And uh, now Ethan is our nine-year-old. He's on the far right there. Graham's on is our seven-year-old. Evelyn, who's got a perfect smile like her mom, uh, she's five. Gwyneth's got the dad look, which is usually... <laughs> My, and I just want to say, my mom is here in the house today, Debbie Hardy, so she doesn't like me doing that, but she's here, and uh, she kept her kids this weekend, and my mom would always try to get me to smile growing up, but I looked like Gwyneth, <laughs> literally. It's just kind of like stoic, just, and, and, it's, and it's not that she's grumpy, that's just, that's just the Hardy face, okay? So we got Gwyneth there, she's about to turn three in a little while. Uh, and then we got cute little Madeline, and she's not really sure what's going on, uh, but she is just cute and precious, and man, it's, it's a, it is a crew. I love my family, and you know, what's interesting is that as you look at this picture, I want you to know that Ethan, being nine years old, he's going to turn 10 this summer in July, and it was in August of 2009, a month after my firstborn was born, that this church was birthed, and so a lot of times we kind of say that, hey, the church tracks along with my son, really. And, and in so many ways, I would say that we've been able to track with Ethan's development just as a young man, as a follower of Jesus and where he is, and just seeing so many things about our church and who are the people and how we're maturing and growing. But, you know, before we ever moved to Bryan College Station, before we ever came here, um, you know, we, we, we didn't have plans to actually plant a church. We didn't have these dreams to go to College Station one day, and we're going we're gonna to plant a church, we're going to change the world. We really just wanted to follow and know Jesus and do whatever he said. And um, in the midst of our journey living in Waco, Texas, we, we felt like God had given us a dream, a dream with a promise. And, you know, what was interesting is that we had already decided to make decisions um, as, a, as a couple and as a future family that... We're going to be centered on Jesus. Our decisions would be going through the lens of Jesus. You can take the picture down if you want. Because um, I, I, part of me just wants to keep looking at it because it's so cute. So, um, but, you know, we decided early on that, okay, our marriage, the foundation of our marriage is going to be about making decisions through the lens of Christ. Not through the lens of advisors. Not through the lens of what our parents want. Not through the lens of what degree we got in college. Not through the lens of what people say is successful. But we said, we want to go, and we want to live, and we want to work. We want to do whatever God is leading us to do. And by the way, that means we need to put him at the centerpiece of that decision-making process. Our lives were going to be about pleasing God, not pleasing ourselves. Our lives are going to be about pleasing God, not pleasing you or pleasing anybody. But it was pleasing him. Because did you know that when you actually please God, in effect, it actually does bless the heart of people around you. Like when you're living a life that's pleasing to him, you don't have to worry about trying to make all these friends because what's going to flow out of you is just a love and a kindness that's going to all of a sudden you start making friends. And so it's more about putting your focus in on him. And so this dream that God had given us, this, this dream, it, it, it included moving to a new city, giving up all of our friendships, giving up a great church community in Waco, giving up our home, giving up our jobs. We gave up 
different things, but I just want to say that for everything that we gave up, he gave us something better in exchange. And every time God asks you to give something up, you can either say yes or no. If you say no, what you're saying is, God, no thank you, I will stay where I am, and I will be, quote unquote, satisfied with where I am today, and we'll stay there. Now, God may give you another opportunity to say yes to him again or whatever, but here's what I know is that over time, as our hearts grow cold and grow numb to the leading of the Lord, all of a sudden it may be a little more difficult to start hearing him because you keep just shutting him out. You keep shutting him out. You keep numbing. You keep, oh, I don't think so. I've got a better idea. I've got a better plan. And so we wanted to be a, a, a young married couple that would actually say, okay, God, what are the plans you have for us? So in the midst of all this giving that up, he gave us something way better in exchange. God gave us a dream, and with that dream, he gave us a promise. Now, I wanted to find a promise for us. A promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen, right? A promise. Now, I bet each of us can think of promises in our lives that you have made that you have kept. And you have also can think of promises, potentially, that you have broken. Um, people have done, done the same to you. I, in fact, remember in sixth grade, in sixth grade, I started liking this girl, all right, middle school. Sixth grade, and I was this, I was this youngster, and so I told these, like, two friends of mine, like, on one of my sports teams. And I was like, guys, you can't tell anybody. But I like so-and-so. I don't know who she was, but... I was like, hey, I like so-and-so, I've got a crush on her, you know, and, and they're like, oh, cool, man, you know, I don't know what I was doing, so I just told these guys. Well, you know, next day at school, I show up, you know, it's not a huge school, but, you know, work kind of gets around, and people are like, hey, I heard about this, you know, in sixth grade, right? It's like, it's like those things get to you, you know, it's like, ooh, ooh you like so-and-so, like, hey, man, what, 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 I don't, who told you that, you know, I'm trying to play it cool and everything, and and, you know, and then the, on, the, on the basketball team, whatever, they're like, hey, dude, we heard about I'm like, what did you guys do? You told them? They're like, hey, man, it just kind of slipped or whatever. And, and uh, you know what? I look back, and it's a very funny circumstance. But in all reality, it was really painful. Now, I'm a stuffer. You're not married to me. She is. But she would tell you I tend to stuff things, all right? And I stuff, and then there's a point of explosion that comes later when you stuff. So if you're a stuffer, just know it's going to come out eventually. Um, and so when I was a youngster, man, I, you know, I didn't really know what to do with that. It was just like this simple promise that I was like, hey, man, will you guys promise to keep this a secret? And as, and as, and as, and as trivial as that is, that little place of broken trust actually led me to be someone that would not want to trust other people. So I kept my cards close for the greater part of my childhood and going into high school because I didn't trust people to actually keep a promise, right? I trusted my parents. I trusted family, but I didn't trust these friends. And so I say that because promises, um, they really do, uh, those experiences really do shape us. They shape us. They shape how we move forward. And every time someone breaks trust, it just makes it that much harder to trust the next person right? Like every time something goes wrong, it just makes it much harder to really say, no, you really are for me because you've had five people say they're for you, then they've turned your backs on you. And, and now someone's saying, no, no, man, we really love you. Like if you're going to like it for the first time 
and you're thinking, oh, I've been to church stuff, and everyone turns into gossip and slander, and it's just kind of this like Christian gossip bubble, and, and no one really loves. They're just always trying to look and find an angle, and, and that's been your experience, right? And then, and then you show up to life, and people are like, hey, you can be real here. Like, you can be vulnerable. You can be honest. You're like, uh-uh. They're like, you go first, right? I mean, because you don't, you're like, I'm not going to do that. Hold on a second. And you go to a few life groups, and people are like, hey, how you doing? You're like, I'm fine. And so, like, your answer is, I'm fine the first three or four weeks, Right? Until someone at life group, like during the midst of worship, just starts repenting and blurting something out out loud. And you're like, oh, what did they just say? And you're like, did they just confess? Did they just say that publicly? And then someone else pops off and says it, and you're like, oh my gosh. And then the Spirit of God starts moving, and everyone's repenting. And at the end of it, you're like, we're all free. <laughs> like the silence has been broken because we've confessed, we've come free because we're not allowing the things of the past to hold us there to chain us up to a place of not trusting or not believing in the promises. And I would say that those experiences with people then affect how we view God, right? Our experience with our parents affect how we view God as a father. Is, is God as a father really good? Can you really trust him? Is he really going to be there for you? Is he going to say one thing and do another? Because my dad X, Y, Z, your circumstance is like, well, I don't know how much he reflects God. And so if that's what God the Father is like, I'm not sure I want anything to do with that. But can I remind us that God the Father is nothing like your dad? Now, your dad should aspire to be like God the Father. but He will never come close. I want to be like God the Father, but I'm nowhere near. <laughs> I'm still working the unconditional love thing. You know, because I'm just like, hey, Oh, okay, I don't, this is a, uh, I'm choosing to love you right now, but you're screaming in my face, and so I love you, but you're not enjoyable right now. You know, I mean, just, I mean, we are still humans, right? So it's like, oh, it's just like, Lord, give me fruit of the Spirit, self-control, and peace, and just let it come out, you know, and I mean, th this is real world, right? And so, what we're going to do today, and we're going to do for the next four weeks, we're going to dive into this series. Um, and this series is going it, to, it, it's going to make you, it's going to force you to dig deep and to get real. Dig deep and get real, all right? Now, I like just kind of hard and fast black and white terms. I just like kind of, hey, let's just kind of get to it. Let's not kind of beat around the bush here, kind of smooth it off, or let's kind of just, just talk about the outside without, no, no, no. So I'm letting you know the next four weeks, we're going to be digging deep. We're going to be getting real on a few things that we need to do. Like we need to do some work in the digging. And just to give you a little bit of an illustration, you know, right now, um, outside my house, on the side of my driveway where our sprinkler system is, where the irrigation is, um, there's some sort of leak or crack in the pipe. I don't know when it started a couple months ago. So if you come to my house, you'll see a constant flow of water that's just running over my driveway, and it's annoying because I put this basketball hoop in, and we can't play because it's soaking wet and it's gross. And so I decided about a month ago to go do a little reconnaissance. So I got my little shovel out there, and I start digging. And I'm like, maybe that's it. Well, that spot fills up with water. I'm like, hmm, okay. I go to the next spot. I think there's five or six holes right now at my house that I'm trying to find the crack. I'm trying to find the leak, okay? And, and I've not been successful yet. So now I gotta call in the big guns. I'm calling in my, my, my sprinkler contractor. Hey, dude, you gotta get out of here. You gotta help me figure this out. So he's gonna be coming next week or two, but I've been digging to try to find this. And you know, it's been wet and muddy right here, right? It's like, if you have a backyard, it hasn't been dry for two months. You're like, let's go play in the backyard. And it's like, 
I mean, it's gross, you know? You're just like, come on, dry, Lord, just dry it out, just a little bit, and then come back in the rain. And, and so I've got this, like, mushy ground. I've got these cracked pipes, all this water. It's annoying me. But you know what? I've got to dig. And so as I'm out there digging, and it's muddy, and it's kind of stinky mud. I'm not sure what's going on, but there's some, like, stinky mud around my house. <laughs> I'm digging. It just smells. You're just like, what? It, what is in there, you know? I mean, it could have been a cow pasture before, and there's just some hidden stuff in there just coming up. I don't know. But anyways, it's kind of gross digging, and it takes some hard work, right? And so you're digging. You're sludging through this mud, and in the same way, that is what we're going to have to do the next four weeks. You're going to have to discover where the cracks are in your pipes, and by the way, you're going to have to dig. I'm not digging for you. Your disciples are not digging for you. Your wife is not digging for you. You get to dig. So everybody starting today gets to pick up that shovel and to say, hey, guess what? We're going in the mud. But can I just say that when you discover, when you actually dig deep, when you actually get there and you get into that mud and you discover the problem, you identify it, all of a sudden now it gets fixed, and then guess what? You are no longer leaky. You are no longer muddy. You are no longer frustrated. All of a sudden you have clarity Things are flowing properly in your life, in your heart, in your mind, and that's what we're going for, all right? So we're going to be talking about the Great Commission today. We're going to dig deep on the Great Commission. Now, this weekend at World Mandate was about the Great Commission. So if you were here, we're just going to go a little deeper today. So if you've been at World Mandate and you're like, you know, I'm not really sure God cares about people in India, you know? Um, then I'm not sure to tell you because you missed something. But, um, but I believe that this morning, though, that as a church, though, we're going to dig deep and at least assess where are we in regards to the Great Commission because we want the Spirit of God to speak into these places, to speak into these places in our hearts. So um, in Matthew 24, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that I'll just preface by saying this is an intense passage. It is in the Bible. And Jesus did say it. Jesus is an intense person. Um, but I'm going to read it for us, and we'll unpack a couple of things. Now, in Matthew 24, verse 3 through 14, and also just to give you context, um, this, this particular passage is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's not talking to crowds. He is not talking to Pharisees. He is talking to his disciples, his followers, which, by the way, at this point in time, he had been with him at least two and a half to three years already at this point in time when Jesus is talking to his disciples. So that is the context. And so this is what it says in, in Matthew 24, verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations.
for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now what the disciples are asking is, Jesus, when are you going to come back and finish off the dirty devil? When are you going to finish this guy off? When is the light going to finally just overwhelm all the darkness, sickness, sin, death, and it is eradicated? When are you going to come back? And his response was not to tell them when he's coming back. <laughs> I love that about Jesus, right? And so just so you know, that's the treatment he gave the disciples. That's the treatment he's giving to you. You can ask and knock and seek, but guess what? He may not give you the answer you want, right? Jesus, who do you want me to marry? I want you to confess your sin. Wait, hold on. Who do you want me to marry? <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus, I really want purpose. What's your purpose for my life? Go to life group. What? Get in community. What? Read the Bible. Well, no, no. What's the purpose of my life? To follow me. Well, what did you say? That you would be part of my church. That you'd be part of the community of God. Don't do your own thing. Do my thing. Okay. Jesus, what job do you want me to take? Well, I'm not going to answer that right now, but I do want you to be faithful to the job you're at. I know you don't like it, but the next job's going to have its own problems. And anyone out there that's been in the workforce for more than five years can tell you there ain't no job that's perfect. Even this one. Okay? I know some of you are thinking, oh, man, it'd be so glorious to be a senior pastor. Yeah, let's talk about that, you know? <laughs> Remember, I did not choose this gig. I didn't choose it. You know why? Because I didn't want it. So everybody you met, he's like, I've been dreaming about being a pastor my whole life. Good for them. That was not me. I wanted to do, my mom can attest to this. I never once wanted to be a pastor. Wanted to run far away from ministry as possible. All about the church. All about Jesus. Just, I don't want to be that guy. And so God didn't answer that wish because he said, I have something different for you that's better than your plan. I was like, oh, he will do that to you over and over, by the way. Right? Oh, but God, I have these great plans. I know, but mine are better. Oh, right? And so you should just kind of stop making your own plans. You know, and just say, God, what are your plans? And I'll just do that, right? So they're asking for Jesus to say, when is the end coming? And he says, don't be led astray. Do not be led astray. In fact, he says that several times. He says, don't be led astray. But who's going to lead you astray? People will. People will lead you astray. He says that um, people will come and say, I am the Christ. Have you ever heard a story of something in history of where someone claimed to be Christ or the Son of God and they led a bunch of people astray down a cult? Have you ever heard in history of someone self-proclaiming that they are a prophet of God and therefore now they have the words of God and you need to listen to everything that they said to now do their thing. There's a couple of religions out there, by the way, that have that. 
Self-proclaimed prophets, right? There's some in Utah. There's some in the Middle East. Self-proclaimed prophets, right? Over and over and over, Jesus is saying, guess what, guys? There's wars that are coming. There's earthquakes that are coming. There are people being led astray. But you, my disciples, do not be led astray. You'll be tempted to go down that path. You'll be tempted to be led this way or that. Don't be led astray. Stay focused. I would say to us, stay focused, church. Don't be led astray by the news headlines. They're not real encouraging, so you know. Whatever's news today, it won't be on the front page next week. But today it seems like such a big deal, right? Whatever our president says or doesn't say, whatever the Democrats or Republicans say or don't say, <clears throat> whatever a world leader says or doesn't say, guess what? They won't last. Jesus and the church outlast every regime, every government, every organization it has. It's been going for 2,000 years. That's pretty long. There are no organizations that have been around that long. There are no empires. There are no, there are no political regimes that have been going that long. There are no news headlines, but the news headline that lasts is, guess what? Jesus came and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And that is good news. And that is the best headline we can share because it's consistent. And you know what? What it does, it actually changes anybody from anywhere at any time, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their language is, no matter where they're from or where they're going or where they've been. That simple news, did you know that Jesus died for you? so that your sins can be forgiven because you can't clean yourself up? And did you know that he not only died, but to prove that he was the son of God and had all power, he rose from the grave, defeated death itself, stuck, put his foot on the, on, on the devil's head and then said, guess what? I'm now giving this power that I just demonstrated to millions and hundreds of millions of people by my spirit. You know that was the worst day in history for the devil, right? Like the worst day. It was not Adam and Eve in the garden. The worst day, right? And so it's like Adam and Eve's there. The Satan, he, he kind of gets his deal. Thousands of years later, Jesus shows up. And the worst day, his worst nightmare. Oh, my gosh, this actually happened. The very God that I rebelled against now is here, and he's squashing my head. The very God that cast me down to earth with another third of my angels, and now we're here. He's back? Oh, my gosh. Which is why he sent Herod after to go destroy every young boy in the community. And that's why Jesus was protected. It's why along the way, the Pharisees were used to try to trip him up and corner him. And you know what? At the end of the day, Jesus fulfilled the promise that he gave. God will always fulfill his promises. His promises will be fulfilled. Whether or not you get to see them, whether or not they're fulfilled in the way that you thought they would be, can't answer that. Sometimes you get to see promises fulfilled exactly as you thought they would, and sometimes they're not, but he will fulfill because he does not renege on his promises. He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. You know, earlier I shared that God gave us a dream with a promise, and um, at the end of the day, that, that dream, it was to plant a church, but really what that dream was was to be part of the Great Commission for the rest of our lives. To say, God, where would you have us live and what would you have us do that will be part of fulfilling the Great Commission in our lifetime? That's the dream. And that's the question we asked. That's the prayer we kept asking. God, where would you have us live and what would you have us do that will be part of fulfilling your Great Commission in our lifetime? That's our goal. 
Jesus may not return, just like the disciples are hoping he would go and come back soon. You know what? He hasn't come back yet. But he also gave us a mission, which is for all peoples, every tribe, tongue, and nation to hear about Jesus. And in fact, in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, says it again. Now the 11 disciples were to Galilee, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is what Jesus was trying to say. Don't be led astray. Stay focused on the mission. Stay focused, James, Peter, John. Stay focused, church. Because when you get led astray, you get off focus. You see, some of us have been led astray to believing that the Great Commission is only for a few missionaries. Many of us have been led to believe that the Great Commission is only for people in full-time vocational ministry. When, in fact, the scriptures never say any of that. What it says to his disciples is, by the way, if you're a follower of Christ, then there should be a desire to hunger to say, oh, guess what? I'm now a disciple of Christ, which means what? That you are baptized and that, by the way, you listen to everything he taught and you start implementing it in your life. To be a disciple of Christ means you actually have to obey the teachings of Christ. Right? You can't just think about the teachings of Christ. Write about the teachings of Christ. Those are good. That's not a disciple. A disciple actually obeys the teachings of Christ. Jesus said, drop your nets and follow me. If they didn't do that, they weren't obedient. They weren't going to be a disciple, right? It's like, do what Jesus says or you're not a disciple. That's what's clear. And so people that are led astray say, well, I did that for a season, but now I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to start my own organization. That's not the church because, by the way, I think it's going to be better than the church. Did you know the majority of people throughout human history that have started ministries outside the church I'm not saying all the intentions are bad, but what I'm saying is I think in the early days, their intentions were gold and pure, and what they wanted was for the church to rally around helping the poor, helping the homeless, ministering to people in different ways. They saw something in society that said, the church has to rush in, and you know what happens sadly often? The church said, we're not interested. The church said, we're not going to do that. The church said, actually, that's for someone else to do. We're just going to stick to our little thing right here. And you know what happened when the church missed it? The church missed it because what they missed was that Jesus said, don't just tend just to your own little thing here. The church's job is to go make disciples, which is to go. To go to the poor, to go to the homeless, to go to the immigrant, to go to the situation, to go into the school system, to go into the business place, to go into this and to go into that. It is the call to go as the church. And so I would just say for you here at Antioch Community Church, our desire is to be the church of the New Testament to where we actually go. We gather and we go. You're gathered today so that you can go tomorrow. And then you'll gather again Wednesday night at Life Group. And then you're going to go again on Thursday to work. And you're going to gather again on Sunday that we're going to go again. It's a gathering and a going. That has to be who we are and what we are about. I'm running out of time, but I'm just going to end with a couple things here. Um, you see, the dream is that God would allow us to partake in making disciples of all the nations. The promise is he would always be with us. He'd always be with you. 
The promise is that he will be with you always to the end of the age. You're not alone. When you walk home after school or whatever and you're by yourself, you're not really by yourself. You're with him. He is with you. When you step on a plane to go overseas this summer on a trip maybe to Dubai or to London or to Namibia or to Southeast Asia or to Tijuana or to Guatemala or to Indianapolis or you are here in College Station, you get in your car and you drive and you're at our base here this summer, we've got lots of opportunities. Let me just say you're not going alone. Yeah, there's other people with you in your team, but even them, every one of them, everyone has Jesus with them. He'll be with you always to the end. You know, guys, I have to be honest, as we started this church in the early days, we were tempted to be led astray. So tempted. Because what God had said was gather people on Sundays, meet in homes during the week, find hungry people, make disciples, teach and train, and send them out. I'll say it again. (laughs) Gather people on Sundays. Meet in homes for life group and fellowship and during the week. Find the hungry people, because now guess what? Never everybody, never everybody wants to grow. Some people are good with just kind of getting into the kingdom. Okay, wow, it's cool here. Nice, gold streets, lots of fun, joy. That's cool. I'm going to put one foot here and one foot here so I can play both, right? And so, and so my, my bio on my social media says I'm a, on fire Christian, <laughs> but I go to church once every six weeks, and I've never served, by the way, and I've been somewhere for three years, oh, and by the way, I don't go on anything mission trip related, because I've got my own idea, and I serve in all different ways in the city, but I don't really care about the church, but you're on fire for Jesus, because he said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail, but you missed that part, you got to be in, the great commission, is it in deep, is it in you? Like, is it in you? You have to dig deep enough to say, is it in me? Is this in me? Or is this just for people that are all in the ministry? Because guess what? I was not all in the ministry before we planted the church. I was all in the Jesus. And so here's what I would say. Do not be caught being in love or enamored with ministry. Be caught being in love with Jesus. Because when you're in love with ministry, you're easily led astray. People came to us, hey, we want to start this particular thing. This particular thing, would you, guys let us, would you guys let us advertise this thing, recruit this thing, be part of this thing? And we were tempted. Man, that sounds really awesome. These are some great leaders, or that's an exciting endeavor in town, and wow, we should really be a part of that, and that'd probably make us look good, and all these sort of things, right? We were tempted. But every time, we said no. You know why? Because God gave us a dream to meet on Sundays, to gather in homes during the week, to find the hungry, to then disciple those people, to teach and train them and send them out. He didn't give us the other dreams. He gave us that dream. But we know if we actually do that, guess what? The homelessness will get ministered to. Did you know that? When you do that, guess what? Your church will be multi-ethnic. Guess what? When you do that, worship will then elevate and will pull people out of places they never knew possible. And it's not because you said anything. It's because they were worshiping him and he pulled something out of them. And he said, this is deep. These are cracks. And by the way, I'm going to heal you right in this moment. You see, when you just do what Jesus said for us to do, it actually works. It works, guys. It works. I want us to stand as we close today. Fight the band on up. (coughs) You see, when the the mission is clear, when you're able to really dig deep, then you can get real with the rest of your life. When you dig deep enough, 
to understand what he's already said, then you get real. You can be open and honest with where you're feeling and what you're thinking about and all these different things, but you can get real with your life. I mean, who doesn't want that? We live in a day and age of so much facade, right, of, 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 of doctored pictures. You don't even want to send an image to someone unless you've filtered it. Do you know what I'm saying? We used to not have that option. It was like, wow, that's how I looked? Yeah, there's no change in that photo. <laughs> right? Now you can, you can probably like swap out your nose or something for someone else's. I'm serious. This is what we live in. We live in a facade, a world that says, oh, I want real, but I'm not going to betray real. It's like we want something we're not willing to give. We want to have authenticity, vulnerability, community, love, deep, deep friendship, but we're not willing to give it because we hold our cards close. <laughs> You're like a sixth grade Tyler Hardy. You just stuff it. <laughs> and you allow that pain to fester and to make you bitter. And your experiences say, don't trust God. He failed you before. Don't trust the church. Don't open up to people. They're going to throw you under the bus. They're going to slander your name. They're going to spread lies about you. And you know what? I don't know what your experience has been. But here's what I know. God gives us a promise, every one of us. He'll be with you. It's when we forget that he's with us is the problem. He's with us. So here's how we're going to end. I'm not going to have a prayer team up here this morning, but we're going to end with lifting up the name of Jesus. We're going to end with saying, God, I want you to put this deep mission in me of the Great Commission because I want it burning inside of me. And, and I just want to say one last thing is that sometimes we, we think that, man, we can only really be part of fulfilling the Great Commission, again, if I have a certain title or role, but Man, it, it is for everyone. I have a feeling that those disciples were a pretty awkward bunch. <laughs> different personalities, different heights, <laughs> different parents, different backgrounds. But Jesus pulled a ragtag group together and they changed the world. We're pretty ragtag, just so you know. And he wants to change the world through us. So if you're willing to sign on for that, I'd ask just right now, you just pray with me. And more or less, it's just a prayer of just a step of, step of faith prayer and maybe just, just a commitment. You need to agree with me. Lord Jesus, we commit as a people to putting the Great Commission at the center of our lives. Jesus, we commit to making disciples even when it hurts. Jesus, we commit to honoring, lifting up, upholding the church of Jesus Christ, not just this church, the church in our city, the church in our nation. We commit to honoring it, to not slandering, but to lifting it up. Jesus, we commit to making disciples and baptizing people. We commit, Lord, to teaching and training people so that they can know the ways of Jesus, so they can pull themselves up out of the mud. They can fix the cracks. They can be set free. They can get real with their life, and they can go change the world around them. Lord, we commit to be a people that will hold on to your promises and not let go. Not only the promise you'll always be with us, but Lord, I know there's other promises in this room you're giving. There's other dreams in this room that we've got to hold on to. So Lord, we commit to holding on to them for a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, or an entire lifetime. But Lord, we will not let go of the promises that you are giving us because we know that you are with us and you are faithful to fulfill them. 
And so Lord, we just ask that we'd be a people who are committed to the nations of the earth. We're committed to pulling people in this city who are at A&M right now, who are international students who need Jesus. We wanna be a people that will be bold to share the gospel, that'll be bold to pray for them and to love them and to say, I know this feels awkward, but you gotta know Jesus because maybe you've been led astray and I wanna lead you down the path of righteousness and hope and life. Lord, let us be a people that will not just recoil back when the wars come, when the earthquakes hit. We'll be a people that rush into the earthquake, that rush into the war. We'll be people that rush into the darkness and to say, we have the light. The light is in the light of men because Christ is in us. Lord, we wanna be a people that are committed to you and your purposes. Lord, we worship you now. Just say none of this is possible out of motivation. None of this is possible out of good ideas. It's only possible if you, Spirit of living God, come and fuel us. Come and fill us. Come and dig up any place that we need to dig up so that we can fully run hard with your mission. We pray, Jesus.